All right, all right. Praise God. A lot of uh, talk going on in the room. Uh, before, no, no apologies necessary. Um, a lot of, a lot of life and uh, joy and excitement in the conversations. And uh, but praise God, it's time for discipleship class once again, class number twenty-six. And tonight we're going to continue our discussion about our being, mankind being, the legal authority on planet Earth. And that's an important subject that may on the surface seem a little tedious or boring, but I'm telling you, we need to understand these things so that we uh, can understand Father's plans and purposes for our lives. So praise God. All right, let's pray and, uh, and we'll get started. We anticipate some more folks joining us after we get rolling here, but we're going to go ahead and uh, be punctual and, uh, and get started. So Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for the things that you're teaching us and helping us connect with and understand, Lord, uh, in our lives and uh, important things, Father, about the way you created us, about uh, the things, Father, that you had in mind for us uh, before um, you ever formed uh, Adam from the dust and breathed your life into him. I thank you, Father, that you are making these things real to us by your Holy Spirit. Father, they're coming alive inside of us and renewing our minds and transforming our lives. Father, thank you for uh, you revealing to us tonight the things that we need to know and understand. You're our teacher, Holy Spirit. You lead us and guide us into all truth, and we trust you now uh, to take command of uh, this class and lead and guide and direct us in the way that you would have us to go, um, to say the things that you would have us to say, and, and even uh, as important, Father, to not say the things that we shouldn't say or cover tonight. So help us, uh, Lord, be precise uh, and focused for your glory. As always, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Praise God. Come on in, sister. We got some more folks, I think, that are coming as well. So, all right. So, um, let's see what we got going here. Um, so, let's just uh, jump in right quick. We've been answering this very important question what is man? We said there's three questions actually what am I? Who am I? Why am I? Origin, identity, and purpose. And we'll never be able to understand. Um, uh, who we are until we know what we are. And so as maybe exciting and, and attractive, you know, these uh, uh, lots of classes on identity. Um, I taught on identity at the uh, uh, meeting, the training last Thursday, and I had different people, you know, hey, we, you know, we, we love to teach our people about identity, kind of get some of those notes and that sort of thing. And absolutely, I mean, teach, it's, it's an important, important subject, but there's no foundation for that to rest upon if we don't uh, understand what we are before we start trying to wrap our hearts and minds around um, who we are. But once we understand what we are and then begin to understand uh, who we are, why we are, we'll really start to become uh, into focus. And as we teach these things separately, but the reality of it is they're they're uh, connected, in, importantly uh, connected. Okay, all right, so, um, so let's get to it. What is man? Uh, we spent uh, a good bit of time talking about man being a God-class being, and then we finished up last week, man is a spirit being, and we transitioned into part three, that man is the legal authority on earth. Man is the legal authority on earth. When God created man in the Garden of Eden, uh, God said, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit said, let them, speaking of us, let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. Uh, one translation says, let them uh, rule. Okay, And we can't uh, 
you know, overestimate the importance. You think, well, that's just, you know, four words, let them have dominion. Um, well, all the stars that he created uh, in Genesis, it simply says, and he made the stars also. So that kind of gives us some idea of how compact and, and condensed um, these verses are as, as we um, allow the Holy Spirit to breathe on them and unpack these things. Then, of course, we have the rest of the Bible that uh, you know, elaborates and expands upon this concept of our having dominion here on planet Earth. We said last week, and just a brief review, that it really helps if we understand it as a lease. Jesus taught us a parable, and he actually used that exact word, that um, he created this Earth this earth belongs to him, but he gave a lease to us. And in the same way, if you have a rental property and you've got it leased to someone, you may own it, but you still have to gain permission from the leaseholder to, to go into that property, even to fix something for um, the person that's renting it from you. Um, and so we, we use the quote from Dr. Miles Monroe where he said, prayer is earthly permission for divine uh, interference. And I think that's really um, extreme for, for a lot of folks, but I think the scriptures certainly bear that out. Um, we lo also looked last week in Psalm 24, where we are identified as living gateways, as ageless doors of destiny that the King of Glory wants to come through so that he can have uh, access and gain entry into the affairs of mankind. We looked at several different places in the Bible where um, Father God was wanting to do something in the earth. Uh, and he was looking for a human being, man or woman, that would um, cooperate together with him so that his will could be carried out here upon the earth. Now, we're, we're kind of building up to this part, and um, these classes all have, uh, a, you know, obviously different subject matter um, that's related to the last one, but they also all have a little bit of what I call just a different flavor. Uh, sometimes we're going verse after verse after verse to really lay a foundation, and then we may expound upon that once we get it in place. And then some of this gets a little tedious, and some of it on the, on the surface maybe is like, well, is that really important for us to know? And the answer is absolutely yes, it's extremely important for us to know. And so I want to um, dive back in tonight uh, on this subject of God's will and man's authority. So we've established that mankind is the legal authority here on planet Earth. We know that Satan has um, hijacked that uh, authority, so to speak, and, and has um, manipulated it uh, for himself. But that was not God's doings. That was uh, choices that human beings made to relinquish that authority over to the enemy. Let me just remind you as a born-again believer that the devil cannot mess up your life unless you cooperate with him. And, and that's, that's, you know, his strategies, his tactics, the angles that he tries to work against us are all intended, come on in guys, they're all intended to try and trick us into um, cooperating uh, with uh, the devil. When uh, Satan wanted to mess up the Garden of Eden, because God not only made it good, he made it very good. When Satan wanted to mess up what God made good, he did not have the power or authority um, to just march in there and mess it all up. Uh, so what did he do? He tricked, deceived the two people who did have the authority and the power to mess it up, to mess it up for him. And that's the same way that he wants to try and operate and work in our lives. He can't... Uh, 
you know, make you do things. He can't, uh, you know, just, again, just do whatever in your life uh, without you cooperating with him or giving him place in some way, right? And so when we talk about God's will and man's authority, you know, it's, there's this lie that people believe that everything that happens on, on planet Earth um, is somehow God's will. Um, you know, this particular year, and it seems like every year since the first year, um, there's been something going on around the world um, that, you know, while we've been doing these classes, so eight, 18th year, um, other things happening. We're, we're kind of on the tail end of, of a global pandemic, but now we've got uh, Russia invading Ukraine uh, and people suffering because of that. And, and there are people who, for whatever uh, religious uh, confusion and ideas that they may have, they assume that and even say that uh, it's God's will. I don't know why God would will or allow something like that, um, uh, you know, one country to invade another, so forth and so on. Well, if, if when we say things like that, it, it's, it's really communicating. If you, if you hear someone say something like that, it's clearly communicating that they don't understand um, man's authority, our authority on this planet as leaseholders of this planet, and what effect that has upon the things that transpire here um, on this earth. So I'm going to show you these things in Scripture because it's not just, uh, you know, it's no, nobody's interested in, 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 in like my opinion or some denomination's opinion or some, you know, religion's opinion. What does the Word say, right? That's, that's what these classes are built upon. What does the Word of God say? And I'm going to show you tonight in the Word of God two very important things that we need to recognize and understand. And the first one is that not everything that happens is God's will. Not everything that happens is God's will. We introduced this towards the end of last class. We're going to dig into it uh, much deeper uh, tonight while we're together. So not everything that happens is God's will, all right? Not everything that happens is God's will. Matter of fact, the, the other way, and there's different ways we could say that and communicate that, um, but that means that there are all kinds of things that happen on this earth that are not God's will. It's, it's not God's will. It's not what God wants. And we talk about the will of God. We're talking about what God desires, what God wants, what God's behind, what God supports, okay? And so we see that not everything that happens on this planet is God's will. That's because God has given dominion over this planet to us, right? Okay. And so this might be one way to, to try to communicate this. Have you ever worked, and, and obviously, um, you know, not trying to judge anybody or shame anybody, but have you ever, like, worked in a company, been a part of some bigger organization, and, uh, and things weren't uh, right at the top, and, and it made it difficult for everybody as, as the chain of command went down? It, it made it more and more difficult for everybody to not only do their job, but to enjoy working uh, in that company, in that environment. Um, it's, it's, but, the, uh, but how about this? Have you ever worked or been a part of an organization where there was strong leadership at the top, leadership that cared about the people that, 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 that were under them and, and you know, basically bent over backwards, so to speak, to try and facilitate a, a wonderful working environment um, where you had what you needed to do your job, you felt supported, you felt appreciated. It's, it's, you know, the difference is daylight and dark, right? And so the point I guess I'm trying to make is, you know, things rise and fall uh, according to the leadership that's in place. And when it comes to what's happening on this planet, it's very easy to point the finger at God or to point the finger even at the devil 
um, without ever really understanding our role uh, in the overall scheme of things. So this is, again, a very important and even practical reason why we need to understand that, that mankind is legal authority here upon this planet. That's God-designed. And then, of course, we see that Adam gave place to the devil and, and bowed his knee to the devil and basically abdicated his position um, to the enemy. So this means that um, not everything that happens on this earth is God's will. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Among other things, he said to pray that his kingdom would come so that his will could be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when you think about things like uh, the crime rate, see, there's, there's no crime in heaven um, tonight because, because let, me, let me tell you, what's going on in heaven is, is God's will. Are you following what I'm saying? What's going on on this earth is, is it's a mess, right? <laughs> you know, it's, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So not everything that happens is God's will. And then the other side of that coin is also true. Not everything that is God's will automatically happens. Um, just because God wills for something to happen, that doesn't mean that, that, it's, that it's happening. Um, and so again, uh, there is a lot of uh, confusion where these things are concerned. We're not going to take the time to do it, but as you uh, consistently study the Word of God for yourself, I pray that your eyes will be open, your ears will be open, your hearts will be open to see the countless number of verses in the Bible that speak of the will of God as something to be sought out, something you have to find, discover, um, something that has to be discerned. To discern something means to distinguish the difference between. So the Bible says to discern the will of God. He's talking about you know, being able to look at a situation and tell whether or not this is God's will or, or not. So the will of God has to be discovered. It has to be sought out. It has to be discerned. If everything that happened was God's will, then there would, it, it would be a no-brainer, right? There would be no need for discernment. There would, need, there would be no need to identify things that are not His will if everything was His will. But everything that happens on this earth, again, is not the will of God. We also see plenty of Bible verses where we're instructed to understand what the will of God is, that it's something that needs to be understood um, again, connected with, sought out, discovered, discerned, understood. Then we have to surrender our will to the will of God and follow that. You know, one of the great uh, examples of this of all eternity was when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what was about to happen to him, knowing what was about to be done to him. And he's praying so much and he's under such stress that the capillaries in his sweat glands are rupturing and he's literally sweating blood. That's, that's how much his flesh and body um, was agonizing over what he knew was to come. And, and he's asking his father, he's like, Father, um, if there's any way that, 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 that we can do something else, <laughs> if, there's, if there's a way out of, of, of what's ahead for me. Uh, but what did he keep saying after he would ask those kinds of questions? But not my will, uh, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus, Jesus had his flesh, right, um, was not excited about, just, that's an understatement of the, of the day, right? His, he, was, he, was, he was agonizing over what was ahead for him, but he knew what his father's will was. So he understood it, he discerned it, he knew it, but he still had to surrender to it, submit himself to it. He could have said no. 
And he wasn't making it up when he said that he could call for a legion of angels, that would have been multiple thousands of angels, to just come and sweep him out of here in, in the blink of an eye and, and just leave this world to go to hell with the devil. Um, but, of course, he, he did not do that. We also see where the will of God is something that we need to pray for. We need to pray for the will of God to be done. Um, we, need to, we need to pray for understanding where the will of God is concerned. And then, I don't know if we'll get there tonight, but Romans 12 even talks about the will of God as something to be proven. Not, not proven to God, but proven in the, in the same context that we were talking about uh, this morning in class. Um, for those of you that weren't here, we were talking about how much of the things we know about God that, that we only know in theory. When it becomes proven to you, this is when you've actually put it into practice in your own life and you've experienced the benefit and the results of it and, and, and it becomes empirical as opposed to theoretical. Empirical is something that has been proven beyond any shadow of a doubt. And so again, all of these verses that give us all these instructions about the will of God, none of these would be necessary if simply everything that happened was somehow magically and deliciously the will of God. Now, turn with me to Luke, the 19th chapter. Um, Luke, the 19th chapter, we'll begin at verse 41. These are some, uh, I mean, obviously there's many different amazing things that we find in the Bible. And so when I say these are amazing or interesting verses, um, it's, it's not because the other ones aren't amazing or interesting, but it's because of what these verses communicate and the insight they provide for us. Now, I know some of you were, were, were a part of the class when we covered this, um, and, and some were not. But I liken this in, in an odd sort of way to the verses that we find in the book of Daniel, where we see the angel, Daniel prays, the angel leaves heaven uh, with Daniel's, the third heaven with Daniel's answer. He gets to the first or lower uh, atmospheric heaven, and that's where the demonic spirits were, and he had to fight them to get break through that line to, to bring Daniel his answer. And then we also see from that whole uh, a portion of Scripture that the demonic uh, forces uh, in the atmosphere trying to control the earth are rank and file. There's, there's princes. They're, they're assigned geographical areas, the Prince of Persia, the Prince of Greece. And, and you know, when I say it's, it's amazing and interesting and unique, it's because we gain insight from those verses by looking at closely at them and studying them uh, that obviously we, we see other passages confirm it, but there's things that we find there that just quite frankly we don't find anywhere else uh, to that you know, degree uh, in the Word of God. And so this is um, another type of verse like that, not so much that it talks about princes of Persia and that sort of thing, but the insight that it gives us into how things operate and, and function um, in our lives and the timing of our lives, God's will versus man's will, and the outcomes that are uh, produced um, and even suffered uh, because of that. Okay, So let me uh, just kind of set up what's going on here. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And a lot of people call this the... Uh, the triumphal, like triumphant, like winning triumph victory, uh, the triumphant entry, E-N-T-R-Y, like he's entering in and he's being triumphant about it. 
This is when the people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're waving palm branches, Palm Sunday, right? They're taking off their coats and, and, and laying them for the donkey because they're, they're like worshiping him. The religious leaders chastise, Je rebuke Jesus. Jesus shut them up. They shouldn't be worshiping you like this. And he said, if they held their peace, the rocks would cry out. In other words, this is a moment, man. This is, this is, this, it's going down, dude. I mean, it's, it, this is heavy stuff. Heaven's meeting earth right here, okay? Um, and because what Jesus knows is that he's going to ride into Jerusalem, but it's not going to be too many more days that they're going to drag him back out of Jerusalem uh, and, and murder him, horrifically murder him. Now, if you've ever seen this enacted like in a drama or a movie, you often see Jesus sitting on the back of, of that donkey or colt, um, you know, waving like a politician to the crowd, you know, like, like somebody in a, in a parade, a beauty queen in a parade or something, you know, giving, giving everybody the, the wave and the nod and all that stuff. That is not what he was doing. As he came over the hill and Jerusalem was laid out in front of him, he had a unique uh, bird's eye perspective, so to speak, of that city, we see what Jesus was actually doing. And it was anything but waving and smiling and joking with the crowd. Verse 41 says, Now as he drew near, um, he saw the city and he wept over it. Okay? He wept over the city. Now, let me um, just pause for a moment because the word wept here is a bit misleading. We, we see this word wept and we think maybe he was... Um, uh, uh, you know, just kind of blotting a few tears that may have formed in his eyes. If you go into the original language, he was ugly crying. Do you understand ugly crying? Okay, that's, uh, that's one of my wife's, uh, my, my, my wife's, she goes, oh, they're ugly crying, you know, which means you done like turned your face wrong side out and crying. Um, uh, how about, um, do you understand crying to the point that you're heaving? <laughs> okay, like this is like, you know, sobbing and crying. It's, it's kind of comparable to when the 70 came back and the Bible says Jesus rejoiced. But what he really did is he jumped up in the air and spun around uh, and danced a jig because he was so excited and so happy. And the, the, the tendency is to kind of undersell the emotional response um, and because it's lost in translation. So when the Bible says that Jesus wept over this city, he is sobbing bitterly. He is ugly crying. Um, I think we could even make a case that there were some heaves uh, in, in, in the midst of this. Now I want, you to, I want you to imagine, picture this, because we've gotten the wrong image if we've let Hollywood paint it for us, okay? That he's smiling and waving to the crowd and blowing kisses to the babies. And also, that is not what's happening here. The people are all celebrating and cheering and rejoicing and all sort of stuff. And Jesus, as he sees Jerusalem laid out in front of him, he begins to cry almost uncontrollably, okay? All right? Why is he crying in this way? Verse 42. He, he says something. I don't know if anybody's listening to him. Obviously, Luke was listening to him. Holy Spirit was listening to him. This is why Jesus was crying over the city. He wept over it saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because it was my Father's will. Is that what it says? No. no. It says because you did not know the time of your visitation. What's he saying? It's too late? He's saying it's too late, brother. 
And that's why he is sobbing and crying uncontrollably. Now, we'll come back and explain some of these verses in detail, but let me give you the bigger picture, and then we'll come back and draw from it what is applicable to us today. What Jesus was seeing, history records actually happened in A.D. 70. So let's try to work out the timeline here. Um, time counted up to a man named Jesus of Nazareth's birth, okay? Some people say, oh, I don't believe there ever was a Jesus. Well, what year is it, dude? Are you kidding me, okay? So time counted up to his birth. B.C. means before Christ, okay? So that's why, you know, you hear 300 A.D., 200 A.D., we're 200, I'm, I'm sorry, 300 B.C., 200 B.C. We're, we're, we're counting down um, till Jesus' birth, okay? Then it started over um, at, at, at his life. Now, th this is, A.D. is Latin. It's not Greek, and it doesn't mean after death. A.D. is Latin for Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. So this is 2022, the year of our Lord, meaning what? He's still alive and well. Praise God. Okay, now, so in A.D. 70, A.D. 70, Right. This would have been, and I'm, I like round numbers because they're easier to keep up with, okay? Um, A.D. 70 would have been approximately 40 years from the time that Jesus said this in Luke 19. Now, how do we come up with that number? Well, we know that Jesus um, did not begin his earthly ministry until he was 30 years old. And then once he turned 30... He had a three-year window of ministry, and then his life um, was, <laughs> you almost want to say cut short, but we know better than that, right? Um, his physical life on this earth um, as a human being was, was ended. He was raised from the dead and then ascended uh, to the throne of the universe where he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. So what's happening right now when Jesus is, is weeping over Jerusalem is roughly and I'm, I'm rounding it up, and there's different, you know, really scholarly people would argue the dates and exact time. I'm just giving you general numbers. If you're watching uh, online or whatever, you know, don't send me ugly emails about my math, okay? I understand that 70 minus 33 is actually 37. So I'm just trying to give you a nice round number, 40 years, okay? 40 years. I'm 55, I remember when my dad turned 40 and I thought he was an old man. Not really, but you understand what I'm saying. In other words, notice the older you get, 40 don't seem as old as it seemed when you were seven or eight or nine years old. All right, so, but in their day, see, in their day, the life expectancy of a, of a person was much, much less than it is in our day. Okay, so when, when Jesus said that something is going to happen um, terrible that's going to happen 40 years in the future, okay? This means that there are going to be people alive, right, with children and grandchildren um, that uh, perhaps are, are infants or babies or maybe not even quite born yet when Jesus is saying this. So he's talking about something that's going to happen 40 years in the future. Now, what is it that happened? In, in, a, in, a, in A.D. 70, the Roman Empire finally had enough with the Jews, okay? If you understand anything about the Roman Empire and the vast territories that they conquered, 
they operated a, a system of government called, uh, well, a republic. I mean, a lot of what we have here in the United States was based off that Senate, so, so forth and so on. But there was also this part of their uh, philosophy called the Roman peace or the Pax Romana. And, and so when we'll use the, 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 the Jewish people, Israel, for an example. When, when Rome conquered them, have you ever noticed like you're reading in the Bible and Herod, King Herod, right, is having conversations with Pontius Pilate, who is a Roman governor. So what the, the, they had conquered so much territory, it was almost impossible to rule it. And so their strategy was to leave the conquered governments in place, but install another level of government um, over that government. So Herod still had authority, but there was a whole lot of things he could not do without the, the Roman governor's um, approval or, or wink, wink, nod, nod, okay? Well, a, a governor over a region, especially among the Jewish people, and I'm boring you all this. Let, let me just try to, I, I get caught up in these things because I think it, it takes time to do it, but I think it's important to understand you know, what's happening here. So if, if, if you're not into history and, and these sorts of things, just hang on for just a few more minutes, okay? Um, like, so let's just say in, in the, the part of, a, uh, of, the, of the Roman Empire as pertained to religion, okay? Um, there, there would have been what, what we would think of, at least loosely, a freedom of religion. Um, but like when it came to the Jewish people and their temple... They had no problem with them practicing Judaism in their temple. But they wanted to allow all the other religions to also use their temple when they weren't using it. You know what I'm saying? And in other words, it, it was like, okay, look, you, you, you go make your sacrifices and do whatever you're going to do on the Sabbath. And then um, the folks that worship the goddess Diana, they're going to have their drunken orgy in there on Thursday night, right? And, and, of course, the Jewish people were just like, absolutely, no, 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 right? So they were considered, you know, to be like a thorn in the side. Now, a governor kept his job and maybe his head based upon uh, the level of peace that he maintained in the territory that he had been assigned. And so try, that's why he didn't want to crucify Jesus, but he was trying to keep the people happy. Are you, are you seeing this, right? If you've, if you've read that whole story, he's like, I'm washing my hands of this, right, you know? But to keep the people pacified, I'm going to release one prisoner to you. Do you want this sorry, you know, murderer who's, you know, been such a scourge to all of you? Or do you want Jesus? Give us Jesus and, you know, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And so he, he was constantly giving in to them. But finally, there's going to come a time when Rome's had enough, right? And they're going to squash them. And they're going to squash them hard. And they're, and, and they're going to kill women and children, and they're going to destroy the temple. It, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be bad. It's, I mean, it's, it's going to be horrific, okay? And that actually happened in A.D. 70. Now, what does that have to do with all of us tonight? Why, why are we even talking about this? The, the, the point that we're making is that not everything that happens is God's will. And we clearly see that one of the many things that Jesus was trying to accomplish while he was here on this earth as a man is that he was trying to show and teach the, um, the Jewish people things, as it says in the scripture, things that would have made for their peace. Things that would have made for their peace. 
In other words, what is Jesus saying? Not only do we get from this what brother said, that it was too late because they didn't know their time of visitation. The window, if you will, had closed. But the bigger picture that we also see here is that although this did happen in A.D. 70, according to Jesus, it didn't have to happen. It didn't have to be that way. It could have been an entirely different future waiting for them than the one that they actually experienced and endured. But not because Jesus didn't have their answer, not because Jesus didn't bring the answer to them, not because Jesus didn't try to give it to them and explain it to them, but because they were not willing to hear it. They were not willing to receive it. I, you know, I'm still growing like everybody else, and, and, and I'm more mature today than I was 15, 20 years ago in Jesus' name, right? But there was a time, especially in the early years of me studying the Scriptures, that I would almost catch myself getting a little bit irritated at Jesus for continuing to go back down to the temple. He would go back down there, and they would just make fun of Him. They, they would try to ask Him hard questions and embarrass Him. Uh, on more than one occasion, they tried to kill Him. They tried to stone Him one time. They tried to throw Him off the, 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 a cliff one time. And, and He would go down there to, to, you know, to, to try to be nice and to try to help and try to do things. And, and they would just you know, strike back at Him and, and ridicule him. And, and, you know, I'm almost like, you know, obviously I, I, I'm confessing my immaturity in, in these days, but I'm like, Jesus, do you not get it? They don't want you. You know, I mean, it's like just, you know, <laughs> you know, Paul finally reached a point where he said, you know what, enough of this, I'm going to the Gentiles. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm through beating my head against this wall, right? But Jesus kept going back and kept going back and he kept going back. And, and when the Lord began to show me what was happening here in Luke 19, he's like, do you see now why I kept going back? Because he's trying to get understanding to them that would have completely rewritten their history and their life story. Is that not phenomenal? Yes. Now, notice here the, um, that we see past, if you had known, Right? Present, but now they're hidden from your eyes. And then future, he said, days will come upon you. Okay? So I want to, there's a few more things I want to say about this. But the main thing I want you to see is that this was clearly not God's will. If Father God's will was for uh, His chosen people to, to be murdered and slaughtered this way in AD 70, then Jesus was going against His Father's will by trying to prevent it, by trying to avert it. If the storms that almost uh, sank and drowned Jesus and His disciples on at least two different occasions, if those storms were God's will, when Jesus stood in the bow of that boat and rebuked that storm, He was guilty of rebuking His Father. See, those storms were not God's will. That was an attack from the devil to try to destroy Jesus and the 12 apostles. It's plain and simple. It was not God's will. Jesus discerned it. He knew that was not something his father was up to. And so when Jesus stood in the bow of the boat and, and, and rebuked that, he was not rebuking his father. He was rebuking the devil. Are you seeing this? It, was not, it wasn't God's will. And so this is clearly not God's will because if it were, if it were God's will, Jesus would have just let her happen. But that is absolutely not what we see here, okay? Now, notice, and, and I want to try to draw a couple more things out of this uh, just for us, okay? So I'm going I'm to read it to you again. It says, he drew near the city, he wept over it, saying, if you had known. So notice, there were things at a previous time that he tried to explain to them, 
right? If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, right? Is peace waiting for them? No. But Jesus was trying to explain some things to them that would have made their life different and better and, and even other generations of their families, come on now, different or better, 40 years down the road. But they wouldn't listen. Things that would have made for your peace. He says, but now they're hidden from your eyes. They were hidden from their eyes before Jesus ever got there. Okay? But Jesus is trying to reveal these things to them, but they're too busy you know, trying to uh, put Him down and put Him in His place than actually humble themselves and listen to Him and, and, and let Him teach them things that would have uh, made a completely different future for them than the one that was now, at this point in juncture, uh, waiting for them. Days will come upon you. Your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know, because you did not know. Not because it was God's will. Do You see, we're talking about God's will versus man's authority. They were not willing. They were, they were not interested. They would not hear what it is that he came to tell them because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, this is so important, I'm going to put it up on the screen, okay? This phrase, the time of your visitation. Because very easy for us to look at these folks and say, man, you, you missed your time of visitation. And, and so obviously, listen to me now, obviously Jesus had a three-year window and that window is now closing, okay? I'm not trying to give you an excuse to drag your feet, okay? Um, but thankfully, uh, we've still got time to get it right, We've still got time to learn some things. We've already, all of us, have already uh, in, endured some loss and missed out on some things, right? Because, they, because what we needed to know was hidden from our eyes. Now, I'm not trying to put you in any regret, okay, uh, about that. But that's just the reality, okay? But thank God we've got now, amen, and we still are alive and we still have opportunity to know the goodness of God in the land of the living, all right? But this time of your visitation, okay? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it up on the screen. The time of your visitation is speaking of a strategic, unique, and highly significant period of time. Strategic, unique, and highly significant period of time. The time of your visitation... It's strategic. It's unique. You understand what strategic is? Strategic means it's, it's purposeful. It's planned. It's not just random. There's been forethought going into this. There, there's been discussion behind it. There's, been, there's a strategy involved here, and it's unique. Unique means what? It's, it's different from other uh, periods of time in our lives. It's, it's, it's different from uh, other uh, you know, seasons of our lives, so to speak. It's strategic. It's unique. And here's the other thing he, Jesus said about this time of your visitation. It is highly significant. Well, why, why, is it, why was their time of visitation highly significant? Because during that time of their visitation, Father God, through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, was trying to put some things in their hearts, show them some things, reveal some things to them that would have completely rewritten their lives and their futures. Are we in a time of visitation now? Amen. I would say that we all are. But if I could just be so bold to speak 
directly to um, my dear brothers and sisters who have committed themselves to a 12-month recovery program who after getting up very early and attending classes and counseling and working really hard in a thrift store and all the things that you guys and gals have done today, right? You're here tonight, right? Because let me tell you something. Your time at the foundry is strategic. <laughs> it's unique. Somebody give me an amen on unique if you can't amen on anything else. But we've also got to recognize it for what it is. It's highly significant. It's highly significant. When you have chosen to step away from all the other things that are going on in your life and separate yourself unto God to hear from Him for the rest of your life, right? Right? We want to learn some things during this period of time in our lives that will make a difference for the rest of our lives. But also, see, here's the thing. And, 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 and we'll be, should Jesus tarry his return to the earth by way of rapture, okay? I believe that many of us, if not all of us, one day on the other side will be looking down on this earth and you'll see grandchildren preaching the gospel, right? Who would not have otherwise been preaching the gospel had you stayed in front of the TV instead of coming to a class like this. Do you see what I'm talking about, right? It's because you're learning things. He's revealing things to you. Things that have been hidden from your family for generations. Things that somebody should have taught you, but nobody knew to teach you. But now, you know, because you just wanted to get off heroin, but God had a bigger plan. He had a deeper strategy. He had something more unique in mind for you. He's showing you things that you didn't know. And it's not just for you. It's for people 40 years down the road. Father doesn't just see your life right now. He sees where your life will be 40 years from now. And He's trying to show you something now, tonight, that you need to know in order to change something that would be awaiting you and other members of your family 40 years from now. A hundred years from now. A thousand years from now. See, it's... it's Man, I just I want to start hollering out in tongues. It's strategic, it's unique, it's highly, highly significant. It's highly, highly significant. One of my heroes in the faith, Brother Kenneth Copeland, he says all kinds of things that I love to hear him say. One of my favorite things that he says is this, one word from God can change your life forever. One word. One word from God can change your life forever. Praise God. Praise God. Things haven't had to be the way they've been in your life up until this point. I'm talking about some of the negative things that we've all been through. But the good news is they, they don't have to keep being this way. They don't have to keep being this way. Amen. Now, so let, let me just, did Jesus pray a lot? Oh, yeah. Did he tell us to pray a lot? Yeah. Um, here, here, you might want to write this down. I don't have a slide on this. It's just something the Lord gave me a long time ago. And um, it, just, it just, amen, it's one of those things that just rings so true in my heart, okay? Um, things are better when we pray. And they're not when we don't. Now, I could just leave it at things are better when we pray. But if prayer makes a, a positive difference in our lives then not praying. You see, so in other words, why pray if, if, our, if our prayers aren't, aren't affecting anything or, or making any difference? Yes? When we say, okay, when we are praying for God's will to be 
done. So if God is faithful on his end always anyways, are we are really what we're praying for is for people to come into agreement with God's will? Well, I mean, that's part of it, but that it's there's there's obviously more to it than that. Because there are demonic forces that are trying to oppose God and his will. And so, you know, I know some of you weren't here for these classes, but we talked about what we bind on earth having already been bound in heaven will be bound on earth. What we release, allow on earth having already been allowed in heaven will be allowed in the earth. So it, prayer is our coming into agreement with God. But remember, he's looking for someone who will cooperate with him so that his will can be done on the earth. There are all kinds of things God's wanting to do on the earth, right? He's looking for somebody who will cooperate with him to see the fulfillment of those things. I have to be careful when I bring it up because I've got like 39 hours of biography uh, just swirling around in me. My precious, darling, beautiful wife, you know, we sit down and talk, and next thing you know, I'm telling her about something Rick Renner did, something Rick Renner said, right? Because I've, I've been in all of that. But, but in, in that biography, this man who went to the former Soviet Union when there was no even groceries to buy over there, took his three babies with him and his wife, you, you know, the fact that he was willing, see, he was willing to say, okay, God's want to do some things in the Soviet Union. He, he needs somebody that'll trust him, somebody that'll believe him, somebody that'll, that'll cooperate together with him. So he goes and he does that, but he talks about the tremendous agony he was under and, and how he, you know, was even like trying to, he was like looking for somebody to tell him not to do it. He knew in his heart he was supposed to do it, but he kept, he, okay, so if my kids aren't in favor of it, then I'm not going to do it. And he even like told his kids, kids, we, we, you and me and your mother, when he set his three boys down, he said, me and your mother can be arrested. We could be put in prison. We could even be executed. And you live out your lives as orphans in the former Soviet Republic, in the former Soviet Union, right? I mean, I said, because he's wanting his kid. He's hoping that his kids will say, no, daddy, don't take us over there. His youngest one said, well, daddy, we're going to die one day. Anyhow, we might as well die doing what God's told us to do. Right? So he, in other words, but now notice, he was under this, looking back on it now, it's like, you know, church history being written. But in the moment when, you know, he's praying, right? It's back to Jesus, same prayer. Not my will, yours, your will be done. So there's all kinds of, yes, what you said is, is certainly true, but there's, there's a lot more involved than just other people doing these things. That makes sense. So. Anyway, okay, all right. So, um, so things are better when we pray. It's kind of like remember when we the verses we looked at last week about Jesus said, "Pray for harvesters. Pray for more people to come harvest, because it's time to reap the strawberries. And if we don't get them all reaped, they're going to die on the vine." And we all agreed that you know. 20 harvesters can harvest a lot more strawberries than 2,000 harvesters. So this idea that the number of strawberries are going to be harvested, whether there's one person harvesting them or 300 people harvesting them, is, is, is a wrong way of looking at this. So Jesus is recognizing there's things that my Father is wanting to do in people's lives and we need more people who are willing to cooperate with him so they can work through and with those people to do these things in other people's lives. So that's why he, everybody who wanted to help him, even more so than him saying, help do the work, he asked them to help pray for more people to help 
do the work because the number of laborers willing to cooperate with God directly uh, impacts the number of people served or the, the outcome that is ultimately produced. So things are better when we pray, and they're not when we don't. Now, why do I want to go and put the not when we don't on there? Because there's this idea that God's going to do whatever God's going to do, whether we pray or not, that things are going to turn out the way things turn out, whether we pray or not. But that is, that is a lie from the devil. That is a, that is a lie that the devil is hoping that we believe, okay? So why pray if everything is, because people believe everything's predetermined, everything that happens is God's will, and it's going to happen no matter what we say or do. Well, we've got to remember, God is not a puppet master. And, and he has a will, but he created you with the ability to form your own will and to make your own choices. Think about this, though. What does it say about him if he knew the events of A.D. 70 and he sent Jesus to these people over and over again anyway. See, it's real easy to, to, to out-philosophize yourself here. That's not a word, but you know what I'm saying. You, you outthink yourself, outsmart yourself, right? And it's like, well, um, God knew that was going to happen in A.D. 70 before it happened. Yes, he knew, and he sent Jesus to try to avert it, try to stop it. Okay, So then you think, well... If he knew it was going to happen anyway, then why didn't Jesus just focus his time on something else? See, here is, and I think you brought this up um, last week, okay? Um, what happened um, generally to everybody, you know, so to speak, there are going to be unique people who did listen to Jesus. There are going to be unique people who did hear what Jesus had to say. There are going to be folks who did take advantage of their hour of visitation, and they they were not destroyed. Their families were not destroyed. Okay? You see, God knowing something is going to happen in advance is not the same as Him making it happen. And it certainly doesn't change our responsibility to obey His wisdom and commandments. Okay? Now, I also believe this. We can find rest in understanding that Father is going to hold nothing back to save a single man, a single family, all the way up to a nation, even if He knows in advance that man, family, nation will never be saved. Man. So that's, I think I mentioned their names last week. You've got what happened to that first generation that came out of slavery in Egypt and because of their unbelief, because of their, a lot of things, okay, not listening to God about their sexuality, on and on and on, they wound up missing out on God's best for them. Not because that was God's will, it was their choice. God tried and tried and tried. He brought them out to bring them in. But they didn't go in because they weren't willing, not because God wasn't willing. All right? And so they send the leaders into the, into the promised land. They come back, 12 of them, 10 of them have an, an, an evil report, 12 of them, two of them have a good report. Okay? And everybody knows that, that you know, if 10 say one thing and two say something different, the 10 has to be right because majority rules, right? No. The 10 were wrong, the two were right. Those two men happen to be Joshua and Caleb. Now, that entire generation died wandering around a mountain in the wilderness for 40 years. But Joshua and Caleb did not. They were the remnant. They were the exception. They were the ones um, who, despite all the other people around them, said yes, right, when everybody else said no. They said we can when everybody else said we can't. They said let's do it now when everybody else said that we'll never do it. Okay, So they were the exceptions. 
So when Jesus is going down there to that temple, I don't know if Jesus knew it as a human being or not, that no matter what he did, it was still going to happen in AD 70, okay? He certainly knew it riding into Jerusalem that afternoon, all right? But it didn't stop him from going down there because even though what happened to a majority, there were still a, a remnant of people, let's use that word again, um, who did hear and who were saved. Amen. Remember, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many people travel that pathway. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few they be that find it. And so it's very easy if you're walking that straight and narrow way, right? <laughs> when you see hordes and hordes of people, you know, uh, head in another direction from you to think, man, maybe they're right and I'm wrong about this, okay? But Jesus went ahead and told us, right, that you don't follow the majority in these things. Majority rule is not God rule. Amen or me on that one? All right, let's go to Luke 13 now. Luke 13 and 34. So the two points that we're uh, emphasizing from Scripture, and, and both of them have to do with Father's beloved Jerusalem, is that not everything that happens is God's will, and not everything that God wills to happen actually happens. Okay? Which means what? Which means there are all kinds of things that happen that are not God's will, and there are all kinds of things that God desires to happen that never happen because He's looking for somebody to cooperate with Him. All kinds of things He wants to do in and through your life, my life, right? That um, He's looking for greater levels and degrees of cooperation, uh, surrender, submission, humility um, on our part so that He can work through us um, in uh, those ways. Growth is another factor in it as well. Growing and developing, you know, maturing spiritually. Um, there are things that Father has for us to do, but, um, you know, there's, there are certain things that an infant and a child can't do that only an adult can. All right, so Luke 13 and 34, again, um, notice the similarity to the, to the last verse that we looked at. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay? So, if you've got the imagery here, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. It's talking about a, a, a mother hen pulling her chicks in close to protect, to nurture, uh, to, to love, um, to, to care for, right? That's the image. That is what God wanted to do. That is how God wanted to deal with his uh, beloved people in Israel. He wanted to bring them in and draw them close. Notice he wanted to do that even though they killed and stoned the prophets and the, and the men uh, that God sent to them to help them. That was a lot of their hour of visitation, right? These men came to them with a word from God and they didn't want to hear it, right? Because they didn't want to be responsible for it. Don't ask me to do anything was their attitude. And so rather than hear and, and submit and do what God said to do, again, 
every word God's ever spoken is for our benefit. He was only trying to help them. They stoned and killed those prophets. But despite them stoning and killing the prophets, God's love for them was still, you're my children and I want to bring you in and, and hold you close to me as a mother hen gathers her brood under her wings. Psalm 91, right? Under the shadow, under the wings of the Most High. But notice, it's just, it, it couldn't be any, words, we don't have to go to the original language here. We don't have to look for, uh, you know, specific definitions. It's very clear. They were not willing. God wanted this to happen. They were not willing for it to happen. And so guess what? It didn't happen. Not because God didn't will it. Not because God wasn't able. Not because God didn't make it clear or, or known. But it didn't happen for one reason and one reason only. The people were not willing. So this, I mean, we could go on and on. I've already mentioned some of the other things about the storms and so forth. But I'm, I'm just trying to show you that just because God wills something to happen, that doesn't mean it just automatically happens. Okay? Now, could I give you just for, for sake of, um, of, of sound theology, sound doctrine, there's coming a day when he's going to say enough. And there's coming a day when the lease is going to be up. And, and uh, the, the rightful owner of this planet is going to come. And it's going to be time to do something else with this planet. And we've got to figure out, you know, where everybody who's still here uh, needs to be put. It's just plain as I know how to say it. But, you know, until... I think Bill Johnson says it this way, you know, uh, if you think of a, of, a, of a play, like theater play or a movie being filmed, okay, um, when the director steps into the scene, everything comes to a stop, right? And, and so in the same way, there's coming a day when the director, capital T, capital D, I'm talking about Father God himself, he's going to enter stage right, or Jesus is going to enter stage right, and, and what's in big old things, you know, it's... Amen. It's time for something. It's time for something new. Okay, so we clearly see what God's will for these people uh, uh, actually was, but we also see that they refused His will. Okay, now go with me to James one and seventeen. James one and seventeen. I'm going to show you a verse while you go to James one. I'm going to put this one on the screen. Um, James, uh, Second Peter three nine. I've mentioned this verse over and over again. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. Okay, That means He's patient and patient and patient, and then patient some more. Okay, Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we clearly see what the will of God here is, that, that no one perish. And, and we looked at that verse not long ago where the Bible says, He takes no pleasure even in the death of a wicked man. All right, That wicked man was somebody's son. That, that wicked lady was somebody's daughter, right? And, and in, in the case of someone who's wicked, this is someone that Father God had a beautiful plan for their lives, but they uh, made other choices along the way. So, again, people perish on this earth hundreds of thousands today, or, or I forget the exact number, hundred and some odd thousand a day on average leave this planet by way of the grave, okay? And um, a lot of those did not know God. Was it because that was God's will for them? You see, so if, 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 if let, think about it for a minute. If, see, people have this idea that God makes people do stuff. If God was ever going to make anybody do something, he would make us all get saved. 
He would make us all receive Jesus. It's amazing to me that people talk about God made this, God made me do that. No, no, see, again, if he's going to make you do anything, he's going to make you get saved. All right, you at James 1.17? All right, this passage, very interesting, James 1 and 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So there's a lot of good stuff in this passage. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Perfect doesn't necessarily mean without flaw, although the things that God gives us uh, do not have flaw. But perfect means uh, something that's, that's well-rounded, that's beneficial, that's um, all-encompassing, right? And so he says, these good things in our lives have come to us from above, have come to us from above. Jesus is very clear in Matthew, the fifth chapter, that Father God uh, does good things for and gives good things to um, people who don't know Him, don't even believe He exists, um, actually, you know, are evil, unjust people, um, because it's the goodness of God that draws a man or a woman to repentance. So I think it's very important for us to acknowledge on a regular basis that every good thing that's ever been in our lives is in our lives right now or will be in our lives in the future has come from God. God's responsible for it. Come on now, that, that'll help you right there, help you stay humble and thankful. You can't be thankful without being humble, okay? Every good gift that you've ever had, ever will have uh, and have right now is come from above. Yes, sir? Uh, I'm not inviting you bread at all, so, uh, but I'm just curious Father of Spirit. I don't know. It's a great question. Obviously, we know that He is light, and in Him is no darkness at all, um, and that we are the light. Jesus said he, that He's the light of the world, but He also said um, in uh, Matthew five, I believe it is, that we also, you and I, are the light of the world, um, and so He's the Father of lights because He's our Father. Okay. Um, now, um, so. Every good gift, every perfect gift from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Um, let's talk about the last part and then we'll focus on the part that I really want us to look at. Okay, That's this concept of shadow of turning. There's no shadow of turning. No shadow of turning. What is, what is he saying when he says that he's the Father of lights and no variation uh, and no shadow of turning? So that is a sundial expression. Um, before we had Apple Watches and all these other, uh, you know, digital timekeeping pieces and what have you, is people told, uh, would tell time by a sundial. And the way a sundial would work, <clears throat> it's round, it's got the numbers on it, it's got this triangular looking thing. And wherever the sun was in the sky, it would cause the sundial to cast a shadow and you use the shadow line to tell the time, okay? Um, <clears throat> but when the sun was at its highest point in the sky, meaning it was high noon or 12 o'clock on the sundial, there would be no shadow of turning on the sundial. So when he says that with Father God there is no shadow of turning, he's saying basically that he's always at his highest and best. Um, he never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. He never has a bad day. He's never off his game. He's never in a slump. He's never, you know, all these things, you know, people are up and down. But remember, God's not a man. Amen. Mankind, people have slumps, ups and downs, highs one day, lows the next. That's not God. He's always at peak performance. And in him, there is no variation and there is no shadow of turning. There is no shadow of turning. Okay. Now, 
What I think really would help us on that word, no variation, is if we look at this in the King James Version. I'll put that up on the screen. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness. Variableness, okay? If there's no variableness in our Heavenly Father, neither shadow of turning. Variableness, no variableness, neither shadow of turning, okay? So let's break this down because I think it's one of the more important uh, life lessons that uh, we can learn. Um, You hear me say all the time that people are trying to solve advanced life problems without basic life understanding, okay? And one of the things that's very important for us to understand about life and living is that we hold all the variables, okay? Father God does not have any variables. He is a constant, okay? I'll explain it. I'm going to show it to you in a little drawing, a little diagram, okay? Um, Father God is the constant in your life equation. For instance, Hebrews says that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He he doesn't change, okay? Um, We can be, you know, four or five different ways and in four or five different moods before lunch on, on, on Wednesday. You know what I'm saying? Um, so anybody remember in math, okay, anybody remember in math when you, you that first math class when uh, somebody evidently made a typo and put uh, a letter from the alphabet in your math problem, okay? And, and maybe it looks something like this, okay? Um, 10 plus X equals, and there's a blank there, right? Okay, well, I know how to add 10 and 12 together, you know, and I've, I've learned that already. But now we've got a letter in here, and how do you add a letter? Anybody like me thought the uh, answer was 10X, right? If you, add a, if you add an X to 10, it's 10X, right? Okay, well... Um, in this simple math equation, the 10 represents the constant, and the x, the letter, represents the variable. And the outcome is not determined so much by the constant as it is the variable. The reason we don't know the answer to this is because we don't know what x represents or what the variable x is going to be. So obviously, if x is 4, then the answer is 14. If x is negative 4, the answer is 6. Do you see? So you have a constant and a variable, and so the answer then is not one that any of us are going to like, but the answer depends, right? The answer depends. The outcome, let's say it another way, it depends. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing this now? Um, So the outcome, certainly the 10 is a factor in the outcome, just like God is a factor in the outcome of everything, okay, right? But whether that's a positive outcome for you and me or a negative outcome for you and me, okay, is going to depend upon the variables. So when it comes to your life equation, you might want to write this down, okay? We hold, not some, not most, we hold all the variables. We hold all the variables. Are you with me? This is really, really important because we have a tendency, you know, you even hear people say sometimes God does and sometimes God doesn't. 
Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait. Sometimes this, sometimes that. See, in other words, we're, we're trying to always put the variables over on God's side of our life equation. Because if you haven't figured out by now, we have all kinds of different outcomes in life. Or we could say results in life. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? This is really, really important, okay? So the sooner we recognize, you know what? I hold the variables. Like the part a while ago when I kind of got a little emotional talking about um, the, the, the time of your visitation, the time of my visitation. You see, you being here tonight is, is, is well managing a variable in your life. You could have done something else with this time. Now, God is God. God's going to love you. God's going to be there for you. He's freely given you all things. He has a purpose and a destiny for your life before time began in Christ Jesus. We should go on and on and on with that, okay? And, and that's, that's for every person that's in this room and watching me and listening to me right now. And it's for every person that's supposed to be here tonight but somewhere else. God's, God is God. He's the same. He wants good for you. He loves you. He's there for you. Always has been, always will be faithful even when we're not. Amen. Okay, so he's the constant in the life equation. But, you know, we can phone it in. We can make excuses. We can do other things. We can spend our time, this, whatever. And, and that's what affects the, the ultimate outcome of this. With God, there is no variableness. He, he's, he doesn't change. He is the constant. And I don't know if you understand just how much we need a constant in our lives. Our world is going crazy. It's, it's going crazy, and it's going crazy and crazier at, at a, we used to get a little break in between crazy. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's what the Lord told me back in 2020. He said it's birth pangs. And if you remember watching Pam give birth, right? They increase in frequency and intensity. What we're seeing in our world right now is birth pangs. And I'm not trying to scare you. But there's more to come. And it's going to be worse than what we're seeing now. And it's going to come with greater frequency. We need a constant in our life. And God is that constant. He does not change. He said a thousand can fall on one side of you and ten thousand on another side of you. And you'll be just standing there grinning and shucking and grinning with him, right? If you'll put yourself with him. It doesn't have to come near your dwelling. When darkness covered Egypt, the lights were still on in Goshen. That's God's people, right? Okay, so we, he wants you to be the exception because he wants people to say, dude, why are you not freaking out when everybody else is? Uh, my wife got her hair done today. She's talking about the, the buzz in the beauty shop, right? What is it? Gas prices. I mean, some of them women had it $8 a gallon before she got her hair fixed, right? You know what I'm saying? No, I'm just kidding. But notice we just talk it up, talk it up, complain about it. You know, listen, listen, see, all that's a variable. God supplying all of my needs is a constant. He didn't say, I'll supply all your needs as long as gas stays under $5 a gallon. Are you, are you seeing this? But now, but watch what happens. If I let what's going on in the world around me affect me and influence what I'm confessing, what I'm saying, what I'm believing, what I'm thinking, see, that, that becomes a variable. My choices, my actions, my words... Even the money that I give, I'm not by here to receive an offering tonight. Give sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Give bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. <laughs> Amen. Give and it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. 
See, it's a variable. God has promised to multiply whatever it is that you sow into his kingdom from a heart of faith, cheerfully, not because you feel obligated or all these other wrong hearts, motivated, you know, attitudes of the heart, what have you. And, and, and he's like, so that's constant, right? There are people, he said, he said tithe, and I'll open the windows of heaven, I'll pour out a blessing you don't have room enough to contain. That's a constant. Now, <laughs> how people respond to that is a variable. Whether you do it or not, that's up to you, right? It's up to you. But it's a variable, see? But, but again, when, when, when we see other people being blessed and prospered and, 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 and all this other stuff, don't be getting mad and jealous about it. You know, because they're, they're handling their variables differently than the way you're handling yours. That's kind of strong, okay. But, well, and, and vice versa. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just love people that, um, you know, it, it's an amazing thing. When God starts doing things in your life, you want, you want other people to be in on it. It's just, it's just a natural thing. You know, that's, that's why uh, several of you talk about, man, I'm trying to get my roommate to come to the discipleship class with me, Pastor Mark, but they're just not feeling it. You know what I'm saying? But again, it's, it's not like, you know, you get your name in lights because you brought three people. To, it's because you're experiencing something here in your life and you're wanting other people to experience it too. You see, I mean, it's just, that's just the way this works. But again, it's, it, it's, in other words, what God will do for you, he'll do for, what he's doing in your life, he'll do in anybody, he'll do in other people's lives. He said, well, why aren't you doing it? Because they're, they're handling their variables differently from the way you're handling yours. You, are you seeing this? Okay. So um, there are outcomes, consequences, results, etc. for every choice we make. God is the constant in your life equation. How you respond to Him, how you respond to what He has said, and how you respond to what He has done for you, that's the variable. That's the variable. Okay? Now, sometimes people get uh, a little nervous on this point. I'm going to ask you to stay with me, okay, um, to the end. And if, if you want to think otherwise after I'm finished, that's between you and the Lord, and we can go to heaven together, okay? All right? <laughs> But it's, something, it's one of those things that the Lord showed me um, some time ago. Matter of fact, um, I'll never, I, I say I'll never forget. Maybe I should forget. I don't know. My sister's in heaven now. But um, uh, back in the day, um, the men's dorm next to the uh, admin there, that was a chapel. I don't know if y'all know that. Had a sloped floor in it. Of course, you know, men sleep in there now and, and, and what have you, um, and had to level the floor and put a, you know, a subfloor or whatever in there. Um, I was in there, and I was teaching, and I just, you know, I was just trying to help somebody. You know what I'm saying? I was, I was in there teaching, and whoo-wee, I had a nerve, man, I mean, with some folks. I'm talking about they got red in the face, and, and um, you know, nothing against you ladies, but it was females more than the males, and, man, they were, I mean, they were. Ooh, one dear sister, um, again, she's in heaven now. You know I love you, Mona. Praise God. And uh, she just got just, I mean, fighting mad almost at me, okay? And so don't get fighting mad at me. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to show you something. I'm trying to teach you something, okay? Spirit's, spirit's more important than the letter here, all right? I want to talk to you for a moment about the supposed sovereignty of God, okay? And... There are a lot of people um, that I believe, who I believe, as far as the scriptures are concerned, are incorrect when they refer to God as being sovereign. So the two words that I want to 
compare, and that's the overlay, the screen overlay, um, is sovereignty versus omnipotence. Now, omnipotence is a compound word, omni meaning all, potent meaning power. So God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. So people say that God is sovereign. That's inaccurate. God is not sovereign. God is omnipotent. And if you listen very carefully, when people say God is sovereign, 99 times out of 100, they're going to be saying it in reference to something that they believe to be his will that is not his will because they believe everything that happens on this earth is somehow God's will and it's for us to just like it or lump it or get over it or what have you. Um, and so in response to that, um, people will say, well, you know, brother, God is sovereign. And sometimes, you know, have you ever noticed too, like sometimes they have to shake their jowls when they say it? God is sovereign. You know what I'm saying? Right. It just, it, 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 it does something to me, okay? Um, because we've got, to, we've got to know what the word of, see, you do err not knowing the scriptures, know the power of God. Hold that thought, brother, because I'm probably going to answer your question, okay? So God is not sovereign. He is far more than that. He is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. Now, I'm going to give you a definition of some terms. Because a lot of times, and this is my experience in the body of Christ, okay, a whole lot of the things that divide people uh, boils down to terminology. So when a lot of people say God is sovereign, what they really mean to say is He's omnipotent. But words mean something, right? Sovereign doesn't mean omnipotent. We're talking about two completely different things, all right? So if you say God is sovereign and think God is sovereign, but by sovereign you mean omnipotent, you're right, except for he's not sovereign, he's omnipotent. You, are you following what I'm saying? Okay. Now, let me give you the Bible verse for this one. Revelation 19.6. Okay. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty uh, uh, thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Okay. So he reigns over all, and he is all-powerful. Now, as is our rule for life and certainly this class as an extension of life itself, um, what does the Word say? And the, the loaded question is, how many times do you think the word sovereign is used in the King James Version or the New King James Version of the Bible and many, many more translations? And the answer is zero. You will not find it in there. You have to go to some... Um, far more modern translations before you find the word, but the word that they translated into sovereign does not mean sovereign when you go back to the original text. Now, why am I showing you this? Not because I'm trying to be cute or impress or inflame. We've got to understand what we are, okay? So if God is omnipotent, who are the sovereigns? Okay, so let's talk about what sovereign means. Sovereign speaks of someone who exercises supreme authority in a limited sphere. Someone who exercises supreme authority in a limited sphere. By limited sphere, we just think limited geographical location. 
Okay? The United States of America is a sovereign nation. Canada is a sovereign nation. We don't tell Canada what to do. How about this? Ukraine is a sovereign nation. Russia is a sovereign nation. What's happening over there now and, and, and is playing out is one sovereign nation has decided to attack and take control of a, another sovereign nation. So sovereign speaks of someone who exercises supreme authority in a limited sphere. So when we talk about sovereignty, we're talking about supreme authority, but not something that extends beyond what you're quote-unquote over or assigned to you or what have you. You ever had a coworker that didn't stay in their lane? <laughs> right? You had your job, they had their job, they were more interested in doing your job than theirs, right? See, they're interfering with your sovereignty. You were given authority over that part of the job. They were given authority over another part of the job. Okay? So, sovereign speaks of someone who exercises supreme authority in a limited sphere. A sovereign nation, again, is a classic example. And one of the key determining factors of sovereignty is this thing called autonomy. Autonomy is simply the right or ability to self-govern. <clears throat> We're going somewhere with all this now, okay? Am I going too fast? All right. So sovereignty then is someone who exercises supreme authority in a limited sphere. And the determining one of the key determining factors of sovereignty is autonomy, which means the right or ability to self-govern. So if you look closely at the definition, God is omnipotent and you are sovereign. You have been given by an all-powerful God the ability to self-govern. Meaning what? Meaning you can do whatever you want to do. You can submit your life to Him, commit yourself to Him, bring your will into agreement with His will, and have His highest and best manifesting in your life for the rest of your days on into uh, a glorious eternity. Or you can wave the middle finger of your life in His face, do whatever you want to do, live however you want to live, because you're sovereign. He is not sovereign. He rules and reigns over all. There will come a day when the sovereign nations of this world and the sovereign men and women who inhabit those nations will bow their knee to Him. Amen. I'm just telling you. Willing or unwilling. Well said. Okay. So if you look closely then at the definition, again, God is omnipotent. His authority, His, does He have supreme authority? Is it only in a limited sphere? Now, thank God He has, he has of His own uh, doing, he has said, the heavens are mine, the earth is yours. We looked at those verses, right? Uh, I created the earth, I own the earth, but I'm going to lease it to you. I give you authority to rule on the earth. I would like to help you do that, right? I, I have plans for the earth. I have plans for you, okay? But we don't have, because we have a free will, we can govern ourselves or we can submit to the, uh, the omnipotent, all-powerful, uh, government of God. Why is, uh, there's all kinds of reasons why this is important. And one of the reasons this is important is because if you submit yourself to the rule of God, there is no other ruler who can outdo that, who can, who can override that. 
So we must surrender. I'm fixing to call on you, brother. Hold just one second. We must then do what? We must surrender our sovereignty to His omnipotence. Do you see the difference there? Now, again, God is sovereign. Well, as long as you understand everything I just said, call it whatever you want to call it. If that's going to get you happy, I'm not trying to make anybody mad, even though it's still wrong. If you're telling me God only has supreme authority in a limited sphere, then that's not what it means to be sovereign. I mean, that, that's not what it means to be omnipotent. I'm sorry, I said that backwards. That's not what it means to be omnipotent. And God is clearly omnipotent. Are you with me? Yes, brother. You did answer my question, okay. by the way. My Bible says almighty, complete supremacy. Um, but I'm not, I'm not understanding on what basis would somebody want to argue that. What is blaming the people that you were speaking of? Um, <clears throat> I know I... Been taught it their whole life, but I bring it up here, number one, because it's important for us to understand, but I also bring it up here because, again, when you hear that, it's often in response to some tragic situation. There are people who believe what that God is sovereign and we don't understand why it would ever be the will of God for Russia to attack Ukraine and destroy those poor people like that and kill those families and leave them lying, bleeding to death in the street. See, but God is sovereign, brother. When you hear that, people are saying, look, God does whatever he wants to do because he's sovereign and we can't ever understand it and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's, just, it's just completely false. It's just it's incorrect. It's, it's, so I don't know if that helps you or not, but... Yeah, but and the other, the, the other aspect of it is, you know, I think I said, I think I was here when I said this. I've been, yeah, thankfully, for the opportunities I've had to teach here of late. But, um, you see, when somebody explained to me that I hold the variables and that there's something that I can do to make my life better in response to who God is and what God has said about me, what God has said to me and what he's done for me, that I can respond to that favorably. I can submit myself to what he says about finances and not ever have to worry about money another day uh, the rest of my life. See, all of those, those were wonderful days for me. When, when people explained to me that it wasn't just random and that, that, that the sovereignty of God and you just, you know, that, but, that there's, but that God is actually constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants you to know him. He wants you to understand his will. He wants you to submit yourself to his will. He wants you to have his best in your life. Every word he's ever spoken uh, to you or about you has been with your best interest in mind. And, and so when it was explained to me that, you know, I could actually, we were talking before you guys got here about how faith comes uh, by hearing the anointed word and that there was something I could actually do to build myself up in faith. The Bible says you pray in an unknown tongue and you build yourself up in faith. When I found out that I could build myself up in faith by praying in an unknown tongue, I drive down the road praying in unknown tongues. I, uh, I get in the Pam will tell you, I pray in unknown tongues in the shower. I, 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 I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to brag on that. I'm just saying when somebody explained to me that there's something that I could do that would move the needle in response to God, to what he said, what he's put in place, then it was a glorious day for me. But here's the thing, and some of y'all are starting to figure this out already, okay? Um, not just in your own life, but you're starting to figure it out in, in the lives of the people you're trying to help, is that not everybody wants to hear that. People would rather be lazy 
and just believe that whatever happens is God's will? Because notice what that does. That excuses them from any responsibility. That excuses them from, from having to make better choices and get off their backsides and actually do something. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So if He rewards those who diligently seek Him, that means people who diligently seek Him are going to experience things in their life reality that people who do not diligently seek Him will never experience. Not because He's playing favorites. Again, He's a constant. He's a constant. So if God is blessing one person more than he's blessing another person, it's not because he is variable. It's not because he's, you know, uh, playing favorites or something like that. It's because the person that's being blessed by God is doing something that the person who's not being blessed or not being as blessed as much by God is not doing. Plain and simple. We hold the variables. So again, that was, to hear that... To, to, to know that, that was like a glorious thing for me. And it took how many years in the ministry, Pam, before we realized that that wasn't necessarily what everybody wanted to hear? I was like, are you? I was like, man, I'll get up. Y'all aren't going to believe this. And folks said, I'm going, there she goes. You know what? Yeah. Lacey, one thing, but I, I could see how this would be hard to stomach for somebody who's maybe been a victim their entire life of things outside of their control. You know what I'm saying? I do. Absolutely, I do. Um, and 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 see, because we get we get some kind of weird comfort. It's not true comfort. It's not the rest that only comes from God. But we get some kind of weird comfort out of this tragedy happened and I don't understand it, but somehow it was God's will and so we find peace in that. And, 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 and folks have gotten very upset with me about that. But see, here's, here's, here's the problem with that. And thank you, sister, for last week for being honest about this, right? She's had some pe- people very close to her that she loves that right. overdose and things of this nature. And, and the devil's trying to lie to her and tell her that God did it. That, you know, why did God do that? Why did God let that happen? Why did this, why did that, you know? I mean, God's like, if you, if you want to see what God thought about that, he bled to death naked on a cross to keep that from happening. Choices we make. Choices we make. Absolutely. So you're, you're 100% right. We, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons, I mean, people have gotten stormed out, you know, me trying to teach these things before, you know, I mean, it's, it's angry, I'm never come back, you know, just, just all that stuff. And, and, and I'm just, I'm just trying to help you see here that you're mad at the wrong person. We need to understand who's for us and who's against us. How can we ever expect to have any kind of meaningful life or, or get any kind of traction in life if we think God is the one working against us? See, Satan is your adversary. He's the source of your adversity. He's the one trying to hurt you and stop you. If it's stealing, killing, and destroying, Jesus said it's from the thief. It's from the devil. It's not from God. I'm sorry. I saw somebody's hand over here a minute ago. So. Um, yeah, when me and my fiance got murdered last year, And I, I don't, if this is going to make you uncomfortable, let me apologize in, in advance. And I don't have any proof of this, but I know my Heavenly Father well enough to know that one day when we get to heaven, should you want to know it, He can show you the window. He can show you where one of the things, and anybody remember in when the, when the Chechens um, went to that theater in Russia and um, all terrorists? And all them people died, and I mean, again, Russia just pumped some kind of gas in there and killed the terrorists and a bunch of 
I think 300 something civilians, okay? Um, some of Dr. Renner's key staff people, they all had tickets to be at that show that night and something came up the last minute and they changed their tickets for the night before. Again, not knowing, not knowing. My, um, my sister-in-law that plays the uh, keyboards in here, when her children were small, she had a problem with a tooth and who knew that you couldn't find a dentist open on Friday? Um, but she looked and looked, her dentist was closed. It was in a lot of pain. She didn't want to try to go through the weekend. And she found a dentist that was open, Midfield Dental Center, over there on US 11 uh, in Midfield, right on the, down from the thrift store in, in Fairfield. And um, so she told my mom about, you know, we were all trying to help her find, you know, whatever. And she called my mother and she told my mom, she said, I found one that's open and we're supposed to be there. I think it was like one o'clock or something like that. And, um, and so, okay, you know, so, um, but the Lord's, the Lord spoke to my mother's heart. She didn't know why, but she just, she had a prompting, uh, an unction, if you will, it's what the word, the Bible word, that they were not to go. And my mom, my, my mama didn't know why. And she called my sister-in-law back. She said, look, Vanessa, I know you tried so hard to find a dentist and you really need a dentist, um, but I don't have any explanation for you other than just in my heart of hearts, I really believe the Lord's saying you don't need to go there today. And Vanessa's like, yeah, but your mouth's not hurting. You know, I mean, no, she didn't. I'm, but she says, well, you know, I respect you as an elder in my life. She called him back and canceled the appointment, okay? A freak thunderstorm and straight line winds blew up that afternoon and a massive oak tree fell through the waiting room where my sister-in-law and her babies would have been sitting the, the hour she was supposed to have been there. You see what I'm saying? So I don't, I don't know, and I'm not trying to compound all that. You know, people ask, where, where was God? Do you know how many people um, the Lord spoke to about not going into the World Trade Center on 9-11? Do you know how many people um, that the Lord spoke to about to not get on the subway that went into the World Trade Center that morning? I mean, again, story, I'm not trying to be freaky, and I'm not telling you that I know all the answers, but I just, I know... Let me, can I sum it up this way, okay? I know that God is good, and I know the devil is bad, right. and I know that we've all experienced things. To have a fiancé murdered, I've never experienced that. Um, there are things that people have dealt with that are, I don't even want to talk about stuff I've dealt with compared to what they've dealt with, okay? And, and I don't have all the answers, but I, I, I've lived and walked with the Lord long enough to know that He's good, that he's good, okay, and it's the devil who wants to end people's lives early to bring all the pain and agony and all that that's associated with that, okay. And so, um, amen. And I, and I know, was, it's a personal question, was your fiancé, did he know the Lord? Was he born again? Okay. So here's, here's and, and I know this may sound trite, and I don't, um, there's a dear friend of mine, his first granddaughter, um, it was an accident, but the, um, uh, <clears throat> while his daughter-in-law was giving birth, uh, the, uh, the doctor left the baby in the birth canal too long, and the baby smothered. Mm-hmm. And um, it's one of the hardest things early in our ministry that uh, he was on staff here at the time. He pastors another church now. I won't, we're broadcasting, so I mean, some people are familiar with this situation, you know. And um, it, it, 
gut-wrenching. Oh, my. Mm. And, um, you know, as a pastor, you just, you just try to be there for people. I mean, you, 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 try, you, know, you, you answers, whatever, you know. And um, <clears throat> when we were leaving that hospital without that little baby, is one of the saddest things. I, could, I mean, I could cry about it right now. It's one of the saddest things. And this is what the Lord told me. He said, tell them 300 years from now they won't even remember this day. And you think, well, 300 years from now, well, they'll be dead 300 years from now. No, 300 years from now they'll be in heaven with that baby. Amen. And they won't remember this day. Okay. So we have to remember that God has more than a 100-year plan or 80-year plan for our lives. Okay. And you guys have been through some hard things. I've been through some hard things. Some people have been through harder things than others. Okay. The dear family in this church that had a son that committed suicide. Our dear sister back here had a son that, um, you know, I, I want to say an idiot drunk driver, but a drunk driver, um, you know, cost the life of her son. And, you, you know, you just, you know, I never forget the morning I got that call from Sister Betty, you know. Uh, again, you but there's there's more going on than meets the eye, amen. <laughs> and there's 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 um, this part of our lives is the briefest part that we'll ever experience. And there's another day on the other side, amen, amen, amen. But we have to see again what the devil's ultimately trying to do is he's trying to he's trying to shake us. He's trying to he's trying to rattle us. He's He's trying to, to, to get us to not trust God and to blame God and to be mad at God. Remember, Adam sins, and, and what does he do? The only two people who can help him, he hides from them. God and his wife. <laughs> you see, in other words, so do, 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 do I have all the answers? So not necessarily, but, but what do I know? I know that God is good. I know that he's a constant. I know that he's the healer of the brokenhearted. And, um, and I know that, that His will is life. His will is, is good. Amen. 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 And He's our friend. He, he, he only wants good for you. I think sometimes, you know, we, like your fiance, you know, we think how much you loved Him. Do you have any idea how much you, I mean, our Heavenly Father loved you more than that. I mean, you know, I mean, again. So um, it's very, very important um, instead of just walking around saying God is sovereign and He does whatever He wants to do whenever He wants to do it, uh, it's very important for us to recognize that that um, you know things that we do, things that we say, they matter. It's important. It's important. And 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 the bigger picture is what we can do to make a difference in the life of somebody else. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try to land the plane right here tonight. Um, but that. That's really where this whole section started last week, was when Jesus said, "Hey, you guys need to pray for some more folks to help, right? Because the people are like sheep with no shepherd. They're they're hurting. They're confused. They're lost. They're vulnerable to the devil. He's picking them off. You know, we we need some more folks to help. Um, and and so there are actually things that you can do." to make a difference in the life of somebody else. Do you, listen, it, things are better when we pray, they're not when we don't. 
one of the things that I try to remind myself of when, when I'm, even when I'm praying in the Spirit is that I may not know the exact situation, but because I'm cooperating with the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to pray a prayer directly to God in an unknown tongue in direct agreement with the will of God, that somebody's life is going to be better today that I may not even know about till I get to heaven. Amen. Right? Amen. Amen. All right. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you, Father, that um, no weapon formed against us will prosper. That's our, that's our confession of faith. And I thank you, Lord, that um, you're for us and you love us and you're good to us. Father, this, um, you're not the ruler of this world. You said in your word, Jesus, that Satan is the ruler of this world and he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Father, you even said in your word that Satan is the God, lowercase g-o-d, of this world. And so, Father, we have to be aware that we're in this world, but we're not of it. Our citizenship is in another world. And we're here as your ambassadors doing what you've called and created us to do. Father, we've talked about a lot of things tonight, but I think one thing that it keeps coming back to, Father, is the importance for us to understand the responsibility that we have as your people to know what it is that you desire for us and from us and that we pursue that and go after that and receive and understand, Lord, your desires and your will for our lives. Thank you again for what you're doing. Lord, I pray for every person listening to me in this room, online right now, Father, that have gone through some very difficult and even tragic losses in their life. Father, you are so near to the brokenhearted and to the hurting. Lord, not just to comfort, not just to, to put an arm of, of love around, but, Father, to, to heal and to restore, to encourage and to bring joy and beauty, Lord God, back into our lives. And so, Lord, I thank you that you give us the victory in every situation. And even, even if it looks like at times that we're losing, Father, your word still says we're winning. And, and we know, Father, that in the end uh, we win when the dust is settled and time is no more counted on a man's watch or calendar, Father, that we'll be standing with you on the side of the winners and, Lord, all those that we love that have gone ahead of us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us. And, Father, thank you for equipping us to better help others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Your love tonight, if nobody's told you that, thank you for being here. Good things, good things, good things.